Elizabeth Lucchese and the Liz Luke team are an all-ladies leading real estate team in Alexandria, Arlington, Fairfax, and beyond. The Liz Luke team and successful, stress-free real estate experiences go hand-in-hand. This group of gals are tough negotiators known to go to bat for their clients' best interests and are personally invested in each and every client. Liz Luke has supported thousands of Alexandria, Arlington, and Fairfax home buyers and sellers since 2004. Will you be the next happy home buyer or seller in 2022? Call, text, or click Liz Luke today at lizluke.com or 703-868-5676 or info at lizluke.com. Follow Liz Luke on social media at the Liz Luke team. Hello, and welcome to Speakeasy. My name is Cody Mellicline. I'm the editor for the Alexandria Times. And every today, day, Elizabeth Lucchese and the Liz Luke Char- team are hustling to get first-time buyers, historians, and sellers, upsizers, downsizers. Sort of covered the gamut of history in the city, specifically. Every day, Elizabeth Lucchese and the Liz Luke team are hustling to get first-time buyers, seasoned sellers, upsizers, downsizers, start out all their clients with this conversation. Liz Luke and stress-free real estate settlements go hand in hand. Liz Luke you have a very lasting guess, uh, relationship in terms of the guests we've interviewed for the show. You're more than a transaction. You're a lifetime Liz you grew Luke when you work with Ray, this which top producing uh, team. Uh, historically what does your 2022 real estate future look like? In the community Call, the text, or click um, Liz Luke now to begin mapping I'm out your plan. I'm sort of curious plan. what it was like Call at 703 Five, six, well, seven, one six, of the things, um, my parents moved into the Upper Great District and followed um, Liz Luke on social media um, at the Liz Luke team. Uh, before that, we were located on Fayette Street. Mm. And very little memories. I know I just, just try to hang out at the movies a lot. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> what I can remember. But um, we moved there and um, my father was in construction. I was a construction worker. My mom was basically with part-time and um, it was five of us. So we were um, we moved there and um, I had already attended Parker Gray Elementary School. So I was a little bit closer moving when we moved there to Parker Gray. Um, the community was segregated. Um, African-Americans, a lot of them came from the South. They came from someplace else. Uh, I think a couple families were um, knowing what I know now. They, they have long histories in uh, Alexandria. They were there since the Civil War. They might have not have known that, but I know it now from <laughs> researching them. Yeah. Um, my particular family, um, me and my siblings, we were the first generation born in Alexandria. And um, I had great uncles who migrated there in the 1930s. So that would make my mom and my dad migrate there. Um, my, my parents got married when they moved there, but they were both from Halifax County. And um, so my great uncles, they um, they migrated there in the 30s. And then later on, they ended up migrating to New Jersey and Philadelphia. So we already had a little bit of family there. Sure. And um, and then, of course, my father comes out of a family of 24 children. <laughs> oh, wow. 17 made it to adulthood. And so um, we got, you know, family all over the place. Yeah. How much of that history did you know growing up, both about sort of your own family and then also more broadly about the uh, African-American history that is in that area of the city? Zero. Okay. <laughs> my my, my um, mom, I knew about her side more because I was very, very close to my 
maternal grandmother. And I would go and spend my summers in Halifax County. And so I knew quite a bit about that side of the family. My father, I did not, um, though they were both from Halifax, I stayed with my mother's mother, not my father's mother. And, um, but growing up in Alexandria, going to Charles Houston, I don't even recall uh, us talking about African-American history. Mm. And so we did not know much about that. And, um, and it was it was sad because it's so rich with a lot of African-American history with African-Americans being in Alexandria, almost at the inception of the county, I mean, the city being in a city, um, it was just never talked about. And so I didn't have that. And I do not remember much history on the Parker Gray. Because after I um, left um, Charles Houston, I went to Parker Gray from seventh and eighth grade. And I think I got a little bit more of the history when I was at T.C. Williams. I had a very unique teacher. She was a white American. And I didn't really like to read out loud in school, in class. And so she asked me what kind of books I like. And I said, I like biographies and memoirs. And she ordered a whole series of them. And I would stay after school and, and we would talk about it. So she got me really into uh, reading and history and you know and all of that stuff. So I, I do appreciate it. And I know she's deceased now, but she was she was neat. What was the spark that sort of ignited your your interest and passion in, in genealogy and that aspect of sort of investigative research and sort of family history? Because obviously growing up not knowing some of your own history, it must have been interesting to sort of then sort of be thrust into sort of having such a passion for this kind of work. Yes. What happened is that like most African-Americans have been doing it for a long time. It was for me, it was Alex looking at Alex Haley roots on TV, going out, buying the book. That was the Bible <laughs> as far as me reading it. And then um, I always was curious, but my family, like my grandmother would say, it's not none of your business. Don't ask questions and stuff. So um, I was always curious. And when I would go down there for the summertime, I would actually um, sat outside of the house when older people came. She said, children are not supposed to be around listening. So she'll tell me, go out and play. And I had a little stool that was like underneath um, the house where they have the house raised up and they got this under crawl space. And I would pull it out and I would leave the window crack in the parlor. And she didn't know. And I would sit there and listen to everything, <laughs> everything you'll be saying. And later on, I would pick different people to find out what does this mean and who was this. And they had nicknames. I didn't know who nicknamed who nickname that was, and, and I'll keep on until I figure out the puzzle. And so when um, Alex Haley came out in, um, with his book, my um, grandmother maybe was about a, um, one year from being deceased. And so what happened is that I remember those things and I started to proceed to find out uh, questions. But I was more interested in the beginning of my father's side of the family because that was like the unknown. And I found out many years in genealogy now, the unknown usually means it's a big secret that nobody wants to talk about. And so um, so I started digging on his side of the family and um, got very, very interested in, um, in, uh, in pursuing that. On his side of the family, and most all my, my different genealogical research in my, on my own family, I have gotten back into the 1700s where on one line of my dad's side, I can't get beyond, I'm, let's say I'm gonna get beyond it if I live long enough, but it's one side of his family 
that the information is not matching with the oral history. And so it's uncovering that. So I'm like in the early 1800s on that side. I always told people, I said, my folks probably came on the Mayflower. So I got to get back to when the Mayflower started because right now I'm in the 1700s. They still, they still appear, you know, within records of, of slave owners and whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I um, still have quite a bit of work to do on that. Was there a moment that unlocked for you sort of what African-American history in the city meant and on a sort of, I guess, a more broader scale, because you said you grew up and going to school, you didn't know too much about it. Was there, when did you start to learn more about the local history of the African community here? When I was 30 years old, okay. I took a black history tour with Mr. Roger Anderson, which I love greatly. He's deceased. And he used to be, I think, um, director of one of the recreation centers when, I, when we were growing up. And we were going down Duke Street and he was explaining Duke Street. And then he turned around and he pointed to a building and he said, this was a slave pen. I mean, I went bonkers. <laughs> I was like, what did you say? And he said, this was a slave pen. I said, nobody told me that. And I said, and then I told him, I said, I went to school here. No, none of my teachers told me any information like that. I said, I had African-American teachers. What happened? He said, well, probably did not know at that time. And he tried to explain how things were, how they didn't talk about things. And I said, okay. I said, you'll never find me in this spot again, not knowing. And I decided to devote most of my energy in finding out more about the place I was born and raised. And I, and I can, you know, most times if you throw out a name of an African-American surname, I can tell you whether that person, when it, their family migrated into Alexandria. I, I mean, I went full speed, 12 hours a day, reading, researching, making sure that I understand the history of where I was born. And not only that, I turned that into my own family and I've been researching and finding out much more. Every time I have an elderly person in my family, they would go to the doctor and the doctor said, well, what do you have in your family? They take out their cell phone, they dial me, say, can you tell him what we have running in our family? I said, what side of the family wants to know? And I can go all the way back to 1853. Okay, that side of the family mostly have heart problem and diabetes and blah, 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 blah. You know? so, and so it was like, you know, and so the doctor said, how do you know this stuff? I said, because I got over 600 something death certificates of my family and I keep up with everything, that, everything and as far as when they die, you know, so. Because it's rare to have someone who can, who so sort of actively pursues family history, your own family history and your own genealogy. How has your family responded? I know, I know you've, you've talked in the past about sort of genealogy sort of being the spark behind the family re reunions that you've held yes. since then. So it sounds like they've really sort of embraced this element of your life. Yes, they embrace it. They'd like to know, yeah. but most people know me, how much time I put in and they don't want to put the kind of time I put into it. And, and I noticed with other um, genealogists, they might be the only one in their family who's doing the research. You have a lot of receivers, but you don't have a lot of doers. <laughs> So it is a lot of work and it's time consuming. And um, before things were on the internet and you cannot do all your genealogy on the internet. Many people think you can, but you cannot. Before uh, we had uh, Ancestry and all those other um, um, databases, um, you had to go to the courthouse. You had to go to the, um, the, um, the state archives, the national archives, uh, churches and everything like that. And what happened, I used to travel every weekend 
my days off going to all these places and and I and ended up accumulating tons and tons of paper. Um, now you can go on the internet to get some of that information and save it on your hard drive or save it on your flash drive. Um, but it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of time and uh, it's, you have to love it or you won't be able to do it. Sure. Talk to me a little bit more, I guess, about the actual the actual work that goes into what you're doing because obviously it requires a lot of investigative work. Um, yeah. I guess what sort of experience did you come into it with and what sort of experience have you accumulated through doing the work itself? Okay, when I first started, I basically, um, I any genealogy workshop, any courses on genealogy, genealogical societies, I became a member. Currently, I'm a member of over 30 different oh, wow. organizations that include genealogical societies, historical societies, and also now since I'm bridging over into probably just get writing everything I can, I'm also belong to the Office Guild and different writers groups. And what you're doing, you're absorbing the knowledge. It's like anything else that when you go to college, you have to build that foundation. Yeah. You, so I build my foundation, but it's up to you to make it unique. And so what people think, well, I can't find this and I took this class or whatever, like anything else, if you want to be successful at it and good at it, you got to stay with it and you got to constantly, you don't put it down for years and years and come back to it. That's not going to work. So with me is that I built a unique way of doing things because I work on this every day. It's not a day go by. It's no Sundays for me. It's no Saturdays for me. It's genie, genie, genie. And I work on this all the time and got to even almost and say what the ancestors are going to do before I know what they're going to do because I have you know studied them so much and did a profile but taking all making yourself familiar with all aspects of genealogy and it touches all different type of um, disciplines um, like I said when if I take on an assignment and like my own family I would say Halifax County. I wasn't born there, but I would go there and visit my grandmother. But we would stay in that one little spot. So you think Halifax is that little, one little spot, my grandmother's house, but it's not. As an adult going back and she's not there anymore, I still have an uh, auntie. I still have an aunt there. I have lots of cousins there. I have a map of Halifax County. And what I did, I took the time to learn every corner of Halifax County, looking at the maps. And when I go there, I drive to these different places and I look because I have relatives that within the uh, within uh, you know the time of slavery, they have been in all parts of Halifax County. So I, I go to cemeteries. I look. I go to the cemeteries. I visit the cemeteries. I cry for the ones that I don't know about. <laughs> I go to the next one, and so um, I go to the churches to see what church records. I go to um, the archives. I go to the state archives as well as the national archives. So it's a lot of you know, making sure that your skills are are there, making sure that you you look in everything, not just from a piece of it, but the entire, the entire um, uh, scope of what you're doing. And I treat every client the way I treat my family. I do the same amount of research I do on a client, I mean, on myself as I do on a client. What are the specific challenges associated with doing this kind of work when it comes to African-American families? Because obviously it's a whole sort of, I imagine it requires a slightly different approach than if you're looking tracing back a, a white family or, or another mm -hmm. family. What are the specific challenges associated with that kind of work? 
yes, every ethnic group can be challenging if you're going to look, if you're not going to take time to know the um, that ethnic group and the things they do, how they record things, you know, how they, you know, consider marriage, children and all of that and how they name their children. It's a naming pattern there and everything. With African-Americans, it's similar. Just one of the main problems with African-Americans, the culture has been ripped apart. And what pieces that people are hanging on to might be different from another African-American who might emphasize on something else. The culture over the years that, um, where the centuries that the African-Americans have been in this country has been impacted. No one African-American group, you can say that, oh, well, I know how to deal with them because I know I worked mm -hmm. with them before and I know how to deal with this. The other one could be totally different, <laughs> totally sure. different. And so you'll find out that um, in slavery, families were sold off, broken up and divided. After slavery, some people tried to find their families and couldn't. But what happened is that it impacted them in such a negative way is that um, in some cases early on after slavery, marriage was not utilized like it should have been utilized. So then in, in our laws here in the United States state, that in order to be able to say who your father is, you produce a document, he's on my birth certificate, whatever. That might not be the case in so many cases when you start looking further back, um, you know, and people trying to prove who they are. And um, like I um, talked about a, a particular person who did not know who their father was, you know, and now DNA can help a lot of that to be able to find out who your relatives are. Um, so what is happening, you have a lot of broken families for whatever reasons, and it had become a culture from slavery. It's something that, that has happened over and over and over and over. And that's why I'm, I'm very an advocate for people learning who you are and, and, and where you come from and what has impacted your family positively or negatively. You can change what's negative and make it positive moving forward. If you don't know why you do the things you do or why things are, you won't be able to address those issues. What I guess what has driven you to continue doing this work for the, for the decades that you've spent doing it? Because as you said, there are no Sundays or Saturdays when it, when it comes to your work. You are doing it all the time. And that requires obviously a tremendous amount of work, but it also mm -hmm. requires a tremendous amount of passion, which you clearly have for the work that you do. What's sort of driven you? Is it knowing the, that value of knowing one's past and wanting to give it to other people? Or is it broader than that? It's, it's broader than that. It's not only just want people to know, maybe I look at it is that maybe if I able to help you tell your story, mm. maybe I can make you a better person than what you are. One time I had a letter, uh, a, a young man in prison, I don't know where he got my, well, I'm on the internet, but he got my address. He asked me, could I help him to know who he was? He did not know certain things about his family. And he was desperately reaching out, or maybe he's just looking for a soul to write to. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, and I and I and I felt it. And um, I didn't take him on as a client. I was tied up with a lot of other things. But it made me think there's so many people out there who want to know who they are and they don't know how to go about doing it. Not only that, when I have a client and when I finish with that client, it's hard for me to separate myself from the client because they become like family. But to sit there and see them shed tears of the joy of what I was able to uncover for them. 
um, is more than, you know, whatever, if they, you know, whether they pay me or not. It's just, it's, it's just, it brings me that human feeling, the connection there. Um, and that's more important than anything else. I can't take on the world. I know a lot of people would say, oh, Chuck, can you do me? I'm not, no, 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 sweetie. I can't take on the world. But the point is that maybe I can make a little dent there, you know? Yeah. Is that is that kind of emotional response common when you're when you're sort of presenting what you've discovered to people? Is oh yes, oh yes. Um, a, a young, uh, um, an elderly person that's very dear to me. Her name is Miss Carolyn McCray, and she grew up in Alexandria. Um, she was born as uh, Carolyn Phillips, and she came to one of my lectures. And she's about 83 years old now. She came to one of my lectures and she was holding the family Bible. She knew nothing about her family. Her aunt lived with her, her aunt, when her aunt was dying and her aunt gave her the Bible and said, it's up to you now to keep the family legacy. But she didn't tell her anything. And Miss Carolyn came to a lecture of mine and she wanted to talk to me and she was clenching this huge big bag and opened it and that's what the Bible. And she said, I don't know who these people are in the Bible because and she said, can you tell me who they are? I know I'm related to them because I know I'm related to Hodge. My grandmother's maiden name was Hodge and was a Hodge and a, and a, a person, Middleton, was getting married, a, a gangs, excuse me, it was a gangs. So I said, okay, so we, we talked. I got as much information from her. And Ms. Carolyn was, has always been Methodist, going to Robert's um, United um, Methodist Church. I took me on about a couple of months to do the research. When I came back to her, I said, Miss Carolyn, do you know that your people have been free all the way back to the 1700s? She had no idea. Oh. Miss Carolyn, do you know that your people been members of Roberts and then uh, Trinity for all those years? And so she said, no, she did not know. And so anyway, what happened is that, anyway, um, Miss Carolyn did not know that. And that she was going to the same church that her family had been members for, uh, for about 300 years. Wow. I had no idea. And she was just shocked. And um, then um, when I did a presentation on her and her family and the research that I did, she sat on the front row very proudly and had her, her um, family displayed as I went through each family member telling them how far her um, Middleton family, um, uh, her, um, I think it was her third or fourth grade, fourth grade um, grandfather, he worked up there on seminary and his son worked for the Virginia Theological Seminary, helped building the place as, and he was a carpenter. She had no clue of, of the rich history that she had. And I don't know why the family did not pass it down, but they didn't. And she was hearing it for the first time. I mean, it's, it, it's stories like that. It's, it's pretty incredible what, I guess, what is hidden that you wouldn't sort of figure would be hidden or at least sort of not talked about. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you find that people are typically willing to sort of tell you stories and talk to you, or is there a little bit of reluctance when it comes to engaging with people? Well, I'm going to um, go back to the slave narrative. What happened is that I was on a project with the slave narratives. And, um, and I was going to focus on doing some work on it. And what happened, I took one of the slave narratives. I said, I wonder, can I find the people? 
and I would take on things like that, believe it or not, when I'm not busy. <laughs> so, um, so I decided to take one of the slave narratives and I researched and I found the descendants of that particular person who was interviewed in 1930 as a, uh, as a former slave. And their family never, he, they knew about him and just a little bit about him, but they didn't talk about it because he was in slavery. Many African-Americans had taken on the shame of coming from, some, from slavery. They have taken the burden of, of like they did something wrong. Mm. They did something wrong and they were, you know, put into slavery. And because of that, they, uh, they, won't, they some of them do not talk about it. Even if they knew, knew that, they wouldn't talk about it. A particular ancestor of mine, um, was a principal at the high school in Halifax County. And I did a documentary with Alex Allen and we went down to filming and he was, and I asked him, did he want to be in it with me? He said, yes. He never told a soul about what he said in that film. And I was like, my mouth was open and I couldn't close it. And he was saying when he was a little boy, he was about close to 90 years old when we did this. He said when he was a little boy and he came into the room, he said his, um, grandmother was dressing his grandfather and what that meant she was helping him change clothes or whatever and they used the term dressing and he said he took his grandfather took his shirt off and he said he saw all those webs on his grandfather's back see his grandfather was born into slavery and he asked his grandmother what what why grandpa got all those marks on his back and she said honey slavery honey slavery and that's all she said and never said anything else and I was hearing it for the first time out of his mouth. And when and we were interviewing, he said, I had to say it. I had to say this before I died. But those are secrets that have been kept so long. And some people don't feel like they feel like they can even voice it or say it. They, you know, just to process it is hard. I get what what kind of work does it take on your part to I guess sort of build the trust in the relationship there? to get to a place where they are willing to share it because uh, I'm, it seems like a lot of your, a lot of your work is obviously the investigative side, but just as much of it is really relationship building. Um, yes. Well, one of the things that um, I had all kinds of ways, one of the things that um, one of my friends had a problem in interviewing her, her family. Um, they were from, um, I think North Carolina and she couldn't get them to talk about anything. She's a genealogist. I'm a genealogist. And so I said, well, what do your, um, your auntie like? And she said, oh, she's always in the garden and everything like that. And I said, oh, but she showed me pictures of her aunt's flowers and everything. I said, um, next time you go to North Carolina, I'll go with you. I said, bring a tape recorder. And at that time it was tape recorders and we got digital recorders. Mm -hmm. And um, I told her, bring all the stuff. So she did, we went down to North Carolina and she introduced me to her aunt, but I had a, I had a box of um, different plants, flowers. I noticed what she liked. We got out in her yard and, I, and she was so excited with the you know, plants. She loved the garden. So she said, I'm gonna plant these today while you're here so you can see what they look like. I said, okay. So she's digging through. And I said, well, how did you learn how to do that? She said, oh, my mother, my mother would love them. And she said, my grandmother. And I, then I bet for my girlfriend to bring that recorder because we're getting ready to have an interview out here. So anyway, by the time we finished, I knew that her grandmother had talked about slavery. I knew so, we knew so, so much about it i met the woman for the first time and we bonded so quickly and so much that i was able to get everything my girlfriend wanted out of this woman 
And then another case in my family had a, a great aunt older. She lived to be 106 years old. Wow. And, and I didn't even know she existed. She was my aunt by marriage. And then when I found out that she existed, I started calling on the phone. But she would hang up after she'd say, how are you doing, honey? And then she hangs up the phone. I said, what is going on? But she didn't grow up with a telephone. A telephone for her was considered luxury. You don't talk mm. too long on it. So I said, okay, I'm going to have to make a visit. So I did my research, did my profile on her, and found out that she loves chocolates. I got a big box of chocolates. I said, I hope she don't have diabetes. <laughs> so I, go, <laughs> I went down there. I, I, and she, and I, I told her um, I was Jasper Lee McCargo's daughter. And she knew my father and, and when he was living there. And so anyway, she sat there and talked. And then she was kind of reluctant. She said, what did you have? I said, I have a gift for you. And she said, what is it? I said, some chocolates. She almost had a heart attack. She wanted those chocolates so bad. But I got everything I needed before I would give her one at a time. <laughs> I got everything I needed. And then other people, I would know so much about their family and things that they feel that I am legit. You know, so I would, when I when I introduce myself, they don't know me. I usually have I, I find out who who are their friends, the families they know. I get them to do an intro before I meet them, and then I know so much about their family, and so that tends to work. But usually, um, I, and then if I have to, I will go to their church, mm. and I will get the pastor to introduce me. And you get to pastor, no, everybody's going to talk to you there. <laughs> so I have my ways. So it's all kind of different ways. Uh, and then, uh, of course, if I get invited to the house and I get at the kitchen table, I'm going to have a ball. Uh, it's a traditional thing in many African-American families, older African-Americans, is that um, they would treat you as a guest if you sit in their living room and on their sofa. It's like it's something official. But mm -hmm. if you get invited to the kitchen table or even told to knock on the uh, door that's near the kitchen, you know you're in. <laughs> so, so um, that's it's all kind of different ways, but knowing the culture of that family, not necessarily of that race, of that family, what are the taboos? You don't want to make any mistakes, and and that, and then how they feel. Like a lot of older African Americans in Alexandria have no trust for the administration, uh, for the government because they live through so much eminent domain, sure, properties being taken away. So it's very hard to approach approach them. If you uh, wanted to have have conversations with them, it's, you definitely have to build that relationship. Every day, Elizabeth Lucchese and the Lizlu team are hustling to get first-time buyers, seasoned sellers, upsizers, downsizers, all their clients home. Liz Luke and stress-free real estate settlements go hand in hand. Liz Luke aims to build lasting relationships with every client. You're more than a transaction. You're a lifetime Liz Luker when you work with this top producing team. What does your 2022 real estate future look like? Call, text, or click Liz Luke now to begin mapping out your plan. Call at 703-868-5676 or email at info at lizluke.com. Again, 703-868-5676 or info at lizluke.com. And follow Liz Luke on social media at the Liz Luke team. project I wanted to talk to you about was sort of your work with the um, Contrabands and Freedmen Cemetery. Um, yeah. I know you volunteered, but you started volunteering at the Friends of Freedmen Cemetery sort of in, in the late 90s and then eventually ended up working uh, for a project to essentially trace um, 
the lineages of the people who were buried in that cemetery. I know, I think your, your work was sort of like in the later 2000s, 2008 or so. Um, yes. Talk to me a little bit about, I guess, that project specifically and where you even start when it comes to a project that is that sort of obviously has that level of importance, but also has that level of scale because a lot of, a lot of names in that cemetery, a lot of names that aren't in that cemetery that we, we don't know. Where do you even start with a project like that? Okay, well, when um, um, the city of Alexandria, Pam Cressy, um, Lance was the head of, um, was working then, and um, Audrey Davis at the Black History Museum, um, when Audrey approached me, asked me that the city was uh, wanted to know whether it was possible to find descendants of the Freedman Cemetery. And I told her anything is possible. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where we start with that. And she said, would you be interested? I said, yes. It was like genie heaven to me. It was like I had sure. gone to heaven and laid up there with all the genealogy stuff, you know. And so what happened is that I met with um, Pam, um, Audrey Davis and um, Lance. And so they told me exactly what they wanted, that they that they would like to find some descendants. And because when they get ready to do the um, the dedication, they would like for them to be there. And uh, they didn't know exactly then, because it was around 2008, they didn't know exact, exactly when it was going to happen, because they were still uncovering stuff and still doing construction. And, and I said, okay. And so what happened, how I approached it, I already knew uh, I had been doing research for a long time since, you know, prior to that in Alexandria. So I knew Alexandria with my eyes closed. I knew who were the free Blacks that were in Alexandria. I knew uh, basically, and this is all coming from doing your homework, doing this, working the census all the mm -hmm. way back to the 1870s, knowing what the surnames are. Luckily, Alexandria is a small place compared to many other big cities. So then I had on my side a plus for me is that I was born and raised in Alexandria. So I, I had um, connections within the African-American community. Also, I knew that um, if they were freed Blacks that I'm looking for, that most freed Blacks were Methodists back in the day and they attended Robert's Chapel. It was called Robert's Chapel then. If they were not, then they were Baptists and chances are they were at Shiloh, um, Third Baptist or Beulah. Okay, so that 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 all my institutions. Then I made myself familiar with the black organizations that were in the day during the Civil War. What was there prior to the Civil War? And so I I uh, lined that up. And then I knew that it was a list of of the barrels by Gladwin, though the cemetery did not have any headstones. It was a list of of who Gladwin buried there because that's the only way he got paid. Sure. If he, you know, so I got, so I, I, I had um, that available to me. And I went down first, and I also had the graduating class of Parker Gray, the only black high school, public high school. So I had a list of all those names. And then I knew who went to Snowden and Hollowell School, which was started in 1870. That's just about two years after the cemetery closed down. So if they want the kids to go to school. So then I looked at the um, Gladwin records and boom, the names were, the surnames were jumping out at me. And I mm. knew I can do this. I can do this with my eyes closed. <laughs> so after having all my stuff, I started looking for the unusual names first. 
people who had the last name like um, Drayton, uh, Shanklin, uh, Haskins. Those names I focus on first. I went to school with Haskins. I knew that the Shanklins attended Roberts early on, and they had been in 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 uh, Alexandria prior to 1870. And so I had my little spreadsheet working that, and then I went knocking on doors. I hit Robinson, and um, they gave me Sammy Shanklin, who's deceased. He died last year, and Sammy I worked his family out. Boom, they buried at Freedman Cemetery. Then I worked the Drayton family out. The only Draytons ever in Alexandria were the Draytons that were buried at the cemetery. And I worked their family out and uh, found the Draytons. And that's what I did with all of them. I stayed away from Johnson's and all those other names. But later on, I was able to find some of them because some of the Shanklins and some of the um, Draytons had married into these other families that had common names. And because you have to associate, when you got a common name, you have to associate them with somebody. You just can't research them by themselves because if, they if their name is John Johnson, you're going to find almost every Johnson going to have a John in there. So you have to start associating um, them with a group of people instead of just one by themselves. Yeah. I know this isn't this isn't obviously the only sort of project like this that you've you've done or are doing. I know you're working on a few other projects now that are sort of tied to uh, Virginia Theological Seminary mm -hmm. the work that they're doing, um, and then the project that the the Audrey Davis and, and the Alexandria Black History Museum are doing around um, the two the victims of the two lynchings that occurred here in the city. For mm -hmm. for projects like this that. I mean, every project is is of historical importance because it's it's relevant to to the family that's involved, um, mm -hmm. and people who you are your clients, the people who you're working with. But for projects like this, I guess that are sort of more broad, working for institutions. What for you is the I guess the value of projects like this and the work and your work directly tied to projects like this? Because it it would seem that. And I've Audrey Davis talked a little bit about this with us, with us on the podcast when she appeared. Um, a lot of this history is like has been hidden, or at least if not hidden, not talked about for so long. Um, and you're essentially sort of uncovering it sometimes for the first time. What what for you? I guess is the value of a lot of this more institutional work that you're doing more recently. It's always about the people. Mm. It's always seeing how they are so excited. They are so, it's a young man I did some research for, and I guess I can explain it through his eyes. And I did some research for him and he was, you know, talked about his people and the whole time he's talking, holding his head down, like he was shame, shameful or something. And um, anyway, he was a person in his twenties. And, um, he had been adopted. He really did not know. Luckily for him, his adoption was not sealed. Okay, so luckily for him. And not only that, it didn't have much in there, but he was a foster child before he was adopted. That was the opening of, that led me to find his parents. He was a he was a god he was in foster care and um I met him when I was speaking at um I think it was um one of the government agencies for Black History Month and he came up to me and told me his story. And so I told him, okay, I'll see what I can do. 
So once I found out he was adopted, uh, he was a foster child before he was adopted, the foster care people were working with his mother, trying to help her to keep him, and but she could not keep him. And she had reasons why she couldn't keep him. Sure. And so what happened is that they gave me the mother's name. Where in adoption, I, I didn't see that. The name was not uh, evidently associated with him in adoption. Maybe that's their way of sealing it. I don't know. But anyway, and this was in New Jersey. This was in New Jersey. So what happened is that I was able, and luckily for him again, it was luck was on his side. His, his, um, his uh, foster care mother was living. And so I sweet talked her and she was able to tell me that how they worked so hard to help the mother, you know, but they couldn't. I was able to trace and find out that his mother um, left New Jersey and ended up retiring in um, um, North Carolina and she died. And but she had siblings. I traced her siblings and I found her brother living in New York when I told the young man about he had an uncle he cried i cried we went through a whole lot of tissues and he was married himself and had small children but they always would see their mother's side of the family they never see anybody on the daddy's side of the family and they want to know how come they don't see any daddy's relatives and then when i told him i think all the kids got on the phone holding the phone, listening to what I had to say. And they all crying at the same time. So we were crying for a while and we had to get ourselves together. And then when I contacted his uncle and told his uncle, his uncle said, I've been looking for him. I've been looking for him. And I did not know how to find him. And he said, yes, I want to see my nephew. And I said, would you mind doing a call? And he said, yes. And when I put him on a call, only thing his uncle said, when you coming to see me, oh, I'm coming to see you. And he said, uncle, give me your address. I'm in the car, I'm coming. And they've been together and close together. Uh, and they have family. Not only that, he found out he had four other siblings wow. that he did not know. So those stories are precious to me is that, um, you know, we all somehow in life, you know, you do well or whatever, but you always think, what can I do for someone else? You know, what can I, how can I make them feel, you know, better? It's just happened to me, happened to be genealogy. Yeah. Others would be something else, you know, um, but is it those things that money cannot buy your family, you know, um, and um, and money can't really make you whole for just a minute until you go shopping, you know, but otherwise <laughs> it really cannot. It's having those families and being able to know who you are. And and in particular, um, this young man, he looks identical to his uncle, but just an mm -hmm. older version. For, for you um, and the work that you've done, obviously in the, in, more specifically in Alexandria, I guess, how do you feel like it has changed your relationship with the city? Because you obviously grew up here, you you knew it as a child, and you've come to know it more as you've grown older, which I, often is actually not the case for a lot of people. A lot of people will, one, either sort of leave their hometown, forget about it, or if they do live in their hometown, they likely do not know it and its people as well as you know yours. Um, how has your relationship really changed with Alexandria over the years as you've been doing this work? When I started doing genealogy, I looked at Alexandria totally different. I mean, before I would say, you know, I'm going down Mount Vernon Street to visit my girlfriend over here or whatever. I stop and smell the roses a little bit longer now. I look and think about, you know, um, this person used to live on this street 150 years ago. I wonder what the street used to look like, you know, um, 
over here at the cemetery. It was a brickyard. I mean, I mean, you started thinking about what was there and, and how did it look? Um, oh, George Washington came down to Christ Church, you know, uh, you know, in a horse and a buggy, you know, and all this stuff. You started thinking, uh, thinking about how things were and how things were much quieter. I think my relationship with Alexandra, my genealogy made me appreciate it even more, though it has its own skeletons, like every place has sure. their skeletons. And, um, and, and relationships, the racial relationships have been strained throughout history, like in any other place. But boil down to it, this home is where I can look back and see myself as a little girl running up and down the streets, playing hot scot with my siblings, visiting my friends. And I can go anyplace else in the world and I can't put myself there as a little girl, only in Alexandra. And um, I came more aware of my Africanness when I went to Sierra Leone. There's no place in the world I could have gotten that but the time I stayed there and the family that I met and the people that took me as family. And um, I can think of myself as a child. I cannot think of myself um, um, growing up, no other place but Alexandria, that's where my memories are. And um, for better or for worse, we're stuck with each other <laughs> in a sense and share in the shared history. Um, I remember walking to Parker Gray. I remember exactly what Parker Gray looked like when, when I was um, going there. I remember Charles Houston. I remember the class and how when I was looking out the window and what I saw in the streets. I remember spending my lunch money at the, um, at the little uh, snack bar before I got there, <laughs> getting candies and stuff. So it's no other place when you look in and put your memory that, that, that you can bring back those childhood memories, but the place that you were born and raised. Wind down the conversation here. Um, we end the episodes of this podcast the same way every time, sort of with a cross-community conversation, which is perhaps appropriate for, for your line of work. Um, by having the previous guest ask our current guest a question, obviously not knowing who the next guest would be. Um, our guest last month was um, Ben Fiore Walker, the town crier, celebrating his 10 years as in the role. Um, and he asked a question that uh, I feel like you have spent the last uh, however long, close to an hour answering. Um, he asked, are you doing something that you love? Yes, I mean, I love um, 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 genealogy, I, though I do realize that I have so much material that it's time now to actually put that genealogy on paper, mm. put the, the stories on paper, because just like in many families, I find out when the person who holds the history dies, that library dies with them. And so um, that is important to me right now for the property, the remainder of my life, my, my, my productive years of my life is to make sure I put that down. Um, I am passionate about it. And um, I know I drive everybody nuts about it. You know what I'm saying? And I always can have a story on somebody and somebody gives somebody, give me their name. I say, oh yeah, so-and-so, yeah, I remember his ancestor. When I'm talking to the older people, they yeah. think that I'm their age. And I, they say, don't you remember, Charles, when there used to be, I say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know about it. Of course, that was 55 years ago, you know, and so and many of them, we get lost in time because they, because I know so much about their family and, and, and everything. They almost put me in their age group. Mm. So I've been in my 80s, you know. <laughs> You've gotten a glimpse into the future, I guess, through the past. Um, yes, yes. What, so I guess, what is a question that you have 
for our next guest? It can be as general as you'd like, as specific as you'd like. Well, I think if you were to be able to choose to come back in life, what decade would you want to be in? Mm. You know, what do you think would be um, the decade that you would select if you had that choice yeah. to go back in time? What is, what is your answer? What decade would you go back to? I would like to be really in the roaring 20s. I would like to know okay. what the 1920s were like. Yeah. Any specific reason? <laughs> well, I mean, hey, the jazz period is coming, you know, everything is yeah. coming before the stock market crash, you know. I would like to see what that was, you know, what really that was like. Yeah, it's the good, it's the good times, the good times yes. before everything sort of yes. crashed a little bit. Well, Shar, yeah. it's been a pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate you stopping by the show. Um, and I, I'm sure we sort of all learned a little something about genealogy, and if not, at least something a little bit about Alexandria. So I really appreciate it. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, thank you, and uh, take it easy, Alexandria. Mm-hmm.